This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Oh man, well, looks like I'm all checked in the kids' ministry. You're going to find me. Um, uh, Show of hands, who went to Bible college? Okay, I'll pray for you. Um, the, <laughs> I, went, I went to Bible college. Um, I decided that was going to be my, my place of education. And um, somebody there thought it would be a good idea to start putting me in charge of things. And uh, so right away, uh, I became the, the spiritual chaplain of Bible college, uh, of my, uh, my class, my freshman class. Um, and then they said, hey, Nick, how about you try out to be an RA? You'd be a good RA. You should be an RA. So I went to go be an RA. I was an RA. And eventually, things started rolling. And by senior year, I was uh, the president of the student body and an RA and a vice president's assistant. And boy, guys, I just thought that I had kind of arrived. Um, now, if you went to Bible college, you know that that's not special. Like, that's, that's a Bible college thing. There's only... There's only a couple dozen people there anyway, um, so there wasn't much to pick from, but if one of you was a Bible college president, you rock. You're awesome. Um, so I'm there, and, and I'm not kidding you. They said, Nick, do you want to be on the face of our magazine, which I thought was like really, really cool. Turns out it only goes to people who don't want it anyway, so it, it wasn't that great, um, but it, if you can find it, I've destroyed every copy that I have, but if you can find it, I'm not kidding you. There is a picture of me on a skateboard. I don't skateboard. Don't skateboard. Don't have a clue. They had to put rocks on either side so I wouldn't roll off set. On a skateboard, going like this, shooting. I don't know what I'm shooting. I'm up here like this. And so I didn't live that down for the first year. People would pass me and be like, hey, Nick, where's your bow and arrow? Huh? Where's your, what, what are we looking at up here? Um, so in my, my senior year, I also had an internship at a large uh, church, and I was the youth guy. And they said, hey, it, when you're done, you want to come and interview, maybe be our youth guy full-time. I thought, hey, this is great. And at one point, I remember thinking, I had totally just arrived. This Christian thing is pretty easy. I like it. It's a lot of fun. You get promoted pretty fast. And then all of that, in one, one moment, changed. I decided, in my infinite wisdom, that I would... Write about legalism. And I would post it on the most secure website, Facebook. <laughs> private website for all to read. So I write about it, and I use, I use some, strong, some strong words uh, to describe legalism. And I might have, I can't remember, it's a little blurry. I might have talked about the Bible college, I'm not sure. I might have mentioned it once or twice. So um, I post this on Facebook, and then the next day... I get called into the office. Vice president's sitting there. Dean of students is sitting there. They sit me down. We have a conversation. The conversation ended with, Nick, we're going to let you go of all your positions. You are no longer going to represent our college. I had two months left in my senior year. Um, those were all my jobs. I was getting paid through these jobs. And so I was, I was devastated. And they said, on top of that, we're going to let you know in front of everybody in chapel tomorrow. 
So I still remember that day. I actually sat front row so I couldn't see anybody and nobody could see my eyes. Uh, Angela remembers that day. She sat right next to me. She was my girlfriend at the time. And I held her hand and I just squeezed it so tight as I made the announcement that I no longer was a leader. I no longer was the president. I no longer was an RA. I no longer could represent the college. But I still had my internship. Went over there, told them what happened. And they said, mm, we're, not, we're not ready to interview you right now uh, for being a youth pastor. We don't think that uh, it'd be a good idea. So maybe come back in a couple years. You know, we heard what happened. We think you need some time to grow. Went back to my home church who said they were interested in interviewing me to be the youth guy. And they actually interviewed me and they said the same thing. Don't think you're ready. And I remember thinking at this moment, if I'm not a pastor and I'm not a leader, what am I? What the heck am I? Labels matter. Labels matter to us. We care so much. Our truth is that we care what our kids say about us, what our parents think about us, what our job makes us out to be, what social class we fall in, how many likes we have on Facebook, how many followers we have on Facebook, whether we're too big, whether we're too small, we're trendy, we're too tall. I like to rhyme, it's my thing what I do now. Um, (laughs) We care. The truth of the matter is we care. And these labels that we put on ourselves and other people put on ourselves actually start to define us. And they define our identity and they define our self-worth. If we start not believing this, no, that doesn't define me, we start fighting an uphill battle because it's not all your fault. It's not. We don't even have time to get into it today. It would be a whole nother Sunday, a whole nother message. I actually love talking about this. Maybe some other time. But there is somebody else out there that absolutely hates your identity. They absolutely hate looking at you. See, see, God, and it's Satan. God created Satan, but he didn't create Satan in his own image. Then he created man... And he created man in his own image. And he overthrew Satan. And so now every time Satan sees you, he's reminded of him who overthrew him. Oh, see, see. He doesn't want you knowing who you are. He doesn't want you knowing where your value is connected to. So if he can get you to connect your identity to a label, to something else, something that can be manipulated changed or destroyed he wins he thinks he wins thinks he wins one of the most uh, prominent labels that i see in today's society um just because i i have a mom i have three sisters and i'm married to a mom is moms and their children and it's not just now i mean it's all throughout scripture we see that women attach their value to being able to be a mom to children And how their children turned out mattered a lot. If we start 
to attach our identities to things that can be manipulated, changed, or destroyed, we can expect to feel some pain. Now, all of us are going to have this issue. All of us are going to have this problem. Don't beat yourself up about it. It's going to be something that we work through till the end, till we go see our Savior. But if we can recognize that this is what's happening and recognize that the Word of God tells us that these things that, that start to define us can no, long, no more define you than, the, than this defines me. Where's president? There it is. I am no longer a president. I never was. Can't define me. So how about we open up our scriptures, open up our Bibles. If you have a, We're going to be in the book of Jonah. We're going to learn a little bit how God fleshes this out in our life. Jonah's a great example. We're going to be in Jonah. You can open up to chapter 1. Jonah's a great example of how God fleshes this out in our life. The labels that we have. So if you're, if you're using a Bible out there in the chairs, it's, I think, page 916, 916. We're going to start right there in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amatai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, after paying the fare, he went on. He went on. The, he went on and sailed away. Now, if ever we needed a filler from verse two to verse three, it would be now. Okay. We have a prophet, receives the word of the Lord, go to Nineveh, preach against it, and Jonah runs away. Okay, <laughs> hold on. Um, what happened here? Do you want to fill me in? This is like when your kids try to come in and, and deliver bad news to you. Like my son will come in. Oh, oh dad, dad, dad. Um, you know Landon? Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, you know Landon. Um. Uh, you know, uh, you know how his toe usually goes like this? Um, well, one thing led to another, and it's going like this now. And as a parent, you're like, no, no, okay, what happened? What happened? You tell me what, it, what not one thing led to another. What happened? When I read this, I'm like, wait, no, prophet of God, what happened? You're supposed to go deliver that. You run the opposite direction? So to, 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 more, to fill this out, we have to go back 42, 43 years, back in time. This wasn't the first time that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. We can read a little bit about it in 2 Kings 14.25, but Jonah served under the King Jeroboam II. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and that was a grand word. Oh my goodness. That word was, go and expand the boundaries of Israel. You're going to go take land. You're going to have an expansion project, and you're going to be successful. That was a good word. I bet you Jonah was pretty popular. I bet you that was an exciting time for him, exciting time for the kingdom, Jeroboam, everybody. Woohoo! Let's go take some land. Then he waits 42 years to be used again in that capacity. That's kind of antagonizing. I mean, I hit a grand slam when I was nine, and we won the baseball game, and that was great. And I never hit another grand slam again. 
Like, let me, I, I remember back that day, and everyone's high-fiving. That was a great time. Like, woohoo! And I'm like, oh, it'd be nice to go back to that. Call them a glory moment, a glory day. It'd be nice to go back to that. And so Jonah's here, and then the word of the Lord, I can just imagine, it starts coming to him. He goes, yeah, here it comes. Going to go expand the kingdom. No. You're going to go preach against somebody you absolutely hate. And I can just see Jonah, he's like, oh, that's not my label. Okay? Uh, My label is successful prophet, one that expands kingdoms. Okay? I deliver justice. Jonah out. I'm out here. Jonah out. I can just, that's how I imagine Jonah in my mind. um, so, So he runs from God. He runs the opposite direction, which brings up a great question. Can we run from God. Can we run from God? The text says that he ran from God. I think the text says that he runs from God because they're trying to, trying to paint the picture of Jonah, literally saying, uh-uh, not me. If anyone knew that they couldn't run from God, it would have had to have been Jonah. And I think he was saying, uh, don't like what you're asking me to do. Not my thing. Okay? You go find someone else to do that. I'm not associating my name with that. Uh-uh. He knew that God could redeem Nineveh anyway he wanted to, but wanted no part of it. So what we see is that we can't run from God, but we can run from mission. We absolutely can run from mission, and we see Jonah doing this. So let's keep reading, because it's really exciting. So then the Lord sent a great wind over the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up, All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked what have you done they knew he was running away from the lord because he had already told them so the sea was getting rougher and rougher so they asked him what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us pick me up and throw me into the sea he cried he replied and it will become calm i know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you instead the men did their best to row back to land But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. They took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. So a couple things that we have to ask ourselves. How in the world did these sailors know that this was a divine storm? Doesn't that first pop into your mind? Like, how did they know God sent the storm? We get lots of storms now, right? 
Like, we're, it's a storm every other week. There's a new storm. How did they know this was from God? These were sailors. So if they're sailors, they were probably sons of sailors who were sons of sailors who knew the sea. And what's interesting about the Mediterranean Sea, which is the sea that they were in, is that the Mediterranean Sea does not get hurricanes. It gets what's called Medicanes, Mediterranean hurricanes. And they're pretty calm. I mean, they're like 60-mile-an-hour wind, which I don't even think is a tropical storm for us here. And they're pretty rare. They don't happen that often. Men of the sea knew if and when these were going to happen, and they didn't probably sail out when this was going to happen. So when this storm came, they also knew that there's an eye of the storm. So when it first hit them, they knew, uh-oh, this is the edge of the storm. And a lot of us know that now because we're all watching these hurricanes and we hear about the, the external winds and the eye and everything. And they knew that it was going to get more violent. If the external winds were threatening to break up the boat, we could be talking about a Category 5, a Category 6 hurricane. And these sailors said, this does not happen. Which brings up an interesting question. Side, it's a sidebar. Sidebar. Not part of the message. Does God use natural disasters to get our attention? He does. He absolutely does. In fact, the Bible is full of natural disasters he was using to get his attention, to get his people's attention. We look at Hurricane Irma, which is frightening, right? He does this to compassionately turn our hearts back to him. And it's, it's a little bit scary. If this is what he's doing when he's compassionate towards us to get our attention, what would he do if he was angry? What would he do if he was mad? Cause that, that, I mean, that day's coming, and it just gets me thinking. So um, they knew it was divine because this was super rare. And the sailors do what's right. They're like, hey, we don't want to kill you. We want to do what's right. Stay on board. Jonah, at this point, could have repented. He knew that. He knew that. He could have just said, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm going to go deliver the word. I'm going to do what you say. He knew that. But he decides, again, um, successful prophet over here. Mm -mm, Nah. Actually, I would just rather, you heard of fight or flight. Fight or flight, common phrase. When you're in trouble, you either fight or you run away from it. This guy is the extreme of flight. Mm -mm, Nope. Uh, throw me overboard, rather die. Rather leave all together than have my name on that. So they do. The sea grows calm. What's interesting is that these three sailors, who are pagans because they were crying out to their God, all of a sudden make sacrifices to Yahweh. Their hearts turn around. I believe that they're in heaven. Again, sidebar, can God use you when you are not listening or obeying him, can he use you for his glory and his kingdom? I think he is using you for his glory and his kingdom, no matter what you do. And so these people come and, know, and, and, and come to know God, and Jonah says, I would just, nope, this matters too much. Goes overboard. So in the fish, um, oh, first... Uh, So, before we jump on Jonah, we have to ask ourselves, could we do what Jonah was asked to go do? See, Jonah knew that God was slow to anger, gracious, compassionate, and that if Nineveh repented, that God would relent against them and 
pull his judgment. He knew that. And he didn't want any part of that. When I think about undeserving grace, undeserving mercy, I want to say that nobody pops into my mind. I think everybody deserves unlimited grace and unlimited mercy. And then a few people started coming to my mind. A few people that, in my mind, had done horrific things, continued to do horrific things, things that somebody should stop them from doing. Whole people groups, whole nations come to my mind and think, no, like they should be destroyed. And while God's not asking me to go, the question popped in my mind as I'm reading this, would I go and redeem a a person or a people group or bring a word that would redeem them and would save them from wrath? Would I do that same thing? So I wasn't so quick to judge him, especially if he had felt the pressures of this society, if he had felt the violence, if he had felt the evilness that was going on. In Nineveh. This is one of the ways that God chooses to adjust our unhealthy labels. It's through the mission that he puts us on. You want to be on mission for God as a parent? He's going to mess with your labels. You want to be on mission for God at work? He's going to mess with your labels. You want to be on mission for God with your friends? Overseas? In the church, he's going to start adjusting your unhealthy labels. We should expect this. It's one of the vehicles that he uses. When we choose to say, God, I want to serve you, he's going to say, okay, we're going to have to work on some labels here. Just one of the things that happens. Second thing, so Jonah, so Jonah flies off. He goes through. And he's, and he's swallowed by a fish. And in the fish, he repents. Through his repentance, he says, God, all right. He spit out on the beach. God says, gives him another word, the same word, go and preach to Nineveh. And here we're going to come across outcomes. So he gets on the beach, goes into Nineveh. For a whole day, he preaches, repent, or else in 40 days you are going to be destroyed. Repent, or in 40 days you are going to be destroyed. And then, Jonah 3, 5, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from greatest to least, put on sackcloth. This is kind of awesome, and kind of like, how did you do that? Because I would like to go preach for a whole day anywhere, and then have the whole city turn. I mean, that would just be pretty cool. If I could just, like, go to New York City and then just, like, preach for a whole day and the whole city, like, changes, that would be awesome. That would be amazing. That would be a great outcome. For Jonah, it wasn't a great outcome. And so we we come to the idea of mission testing our labels, but outcomes also test our labels. A lot of us, do you ever say to God, "If, if we could just get this certain specific kind of outcome, I would be good. Hey, uh, if my kids could just turn out a certain way, I'd be happy. If I could uh, get promoted at work or get a certain job title, I would be set. If all my hard work equaled, put in the blank, I'd be happy. If I get a certain kind of outcome, I'm happy. The outcome is going to drive the label. 
God is going to work on our outcomes, our perceived idea of outcomes. So um, one of the ways that he does this with Jonah is Jonah has, let's open up, let's go to, let's go to chapter 4. Chapter 4. I'm just going to read, you can read along, it's not in there, it's not in the PowerPoint. So the verse right before chapter 4, verse 10 of uh, chapter 3. When God saw what they did and how they turned, because they turned, guys, they repented from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them destruction that he had threatened. So, okay, real quick, let's ask ourselves, why, why did Nineveh turn? That's all it took? Just one word and then Nineveh turns? Actually, let's go back to this natural disaster idea. You guys know the eclipse that we just had? The whole, that thing, whole glasses thing? Nineveh had just experienced that exact same eclipse that we just experienced. Isn't that cool? Either, either right before Jonah came or while Jonah was there, they experienced this same eclipse. Prior to the eclipse, they experienced an earthquake and a famine, and internal riots. They were a mess, internally. And so when Jonah came, they said, Whoo! We are ready. Yes, we are, we are about to collapse as a nation. That man is right. Somebody is trying to get our attention. And what he's saying is right. We should follow him. Do what he says. You know what's really cool about this? is that we sometimes have no idea what God is doing in the background. What God is doing to set the stage. And then he asks us to do something random. Give money, pray with somebody, talk to somebody, meet somebody, go somewhere. And we're like, that's so weird. And when we're obedient and we do it, we're like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. He was working this in the background. Jonah was just the topping piece to this. But what's interesting is that the Bible, the Bible tells this story for a reason. Because when it came down to it, there was one major outcome that God cared about that was really important. This wasn't just about a prophet fulfilling his duties and a nation repenting. So a lot of times we let outcomes define our and decide our identity. How many likes did I get on that post? Was it a good post or not? I don't know. It's got to be 10 or more. I'm taking it down. I'm not going to let anyone see that. Only five likes on that one. We're taking that down. Did I get the job promotion? How long has it been since I got the job promotion? What's my 401k up to? Am I really making it? How do my kids feel about me? Do they come around? Do they hang out with me? Do they like me? What do my parents think about me? Do they approve me? What kind of job can I get? What kind of thing can I create? These are the outcomes we let... Form our identity. And so Jonah, now we're going to read chapter 4. God will test our identity through unexpected outcomes. Here we go. Chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased. Because now he had turned away his wrath. Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, 
slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Sounds like a God that we'd all want to be on board with. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah and this dying thing, seriously. So first he wants to jump off the boat. Now he just wants to die. I mean, he's kind of a drama queen, in my mind. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Boy, that's a really good question when we're angry. That is a really good question when we're angry. When we're stealing, do you have any right to be upset? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Oh, my goodness. Can we just stop with the dying? This is getting tedious. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. It's like talking to my kids. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. Though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But check this out, verse 11. Oh my goodness. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well, should I not be concerned about the great city? So we got Nineveh. Nineveh. Who's evil. Who's wicked. Who's doing horrible things. And Jonah's like, yeah, let's get them. And God says, Actually, my stance for them is compassion. Those are people in there that I made, that I want to see redeemed. You don't get the right to decide what one person's worth is, Jonah. You certainly don't get to decide what the right, what the worth is of a whole city. You don't get to put labels on them thing is, when we have labels on us that aren't right, we feel fine putting labels on other people that aren't right as well. Guys, all lives can't matter till we understand how we matter. We can't possibly get on board until we understand our own worth, our own identity, and it doesn't come through these peripheral things. So... Who are we? We're not our outcomes. We're not what our job says we are. We're not what our relationships say we are. We're not what our success says we are. We're not what our body image says we are. We're certainly not what the TV says we are. We're not what Facebook says we are. 
Did I get everything? We're not what the church says you are. We're not what the community says you are. So who are we? I can tell you. It's right there in your scriptures. You are justified. You are redeemed. You are loved perfectly. You are a friend of Jesus. You are not condemned. You are an heir to the throne of God. You are accepted fully by Him. You are a saint. You are the temple for the Holy Spirit. You are joined with Christ. You are a new creature. You are the righteousness of Christ. You are no longer a slave. You are free in Christ. You are a conqueror by His name. You are chosen, every single one of you. You are holy by His sacrifice. You are His workmanship and He's proud of you because He made you. You are forgiven by the blood of the Lamb on the cross. No sin can stand against you by His name and His power. You are complete. You don't need to work on anything. He's got you. You are complete by His name. You are no longer a slave to fear and to sin. You are free. You are a child of the Most High God and you need to believe that before you're going to go out there and change anything. You need to believe that. Ben's going to sing a song for us here. And as he's singing the song, there's a tag underneath your chair. And it says, hello, my name is. And if you want, as he's singing, it would be really cool if you just wrote down, if you wrote down an inappropriate label that you've been leaning on. You know, for me, it's leader. A lot of times I say, if I'm not a leader, I don't know who I am. And if you just write over top of it, I'm going to scroll back through these. If you just want to write over top of your inappropriate label, maybe write it small. Write what God calls you. What you need to hear. What you need to lean on. Because that is the only thing that matters. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org